I'm Kristen, and this is Scott, the Kadershas, and um, we're here to share tonight, and to um, we're going to talk about communication, um, and we're excited to be here. We've get the chance to teach and merge and over here sometimes, and so it's always fun to um, just see everybody out in the crowd. Um, so we have four kids, and um, I think there's a slide of our family. There we go. Um, four boys, to be specific, and um, they obviously think they're superheroes there. But we've got twins on the outside um, in the sweater and in the plaid shirt, and they are actually 11 now. This was a couple years ago. And then the one in my lap is um, about to be nine, and the other one just turned seven. As you can tell, even when you look at our twins, um, very different. They look different. They act different. Their personalities are different. Um, Scott and I are very different just in being married, you realize how different you are, um, and some of those differences have become strengths as the two of us um, have just grown in, in being married and in oneness. Um, and then you think about five, four slash five boys in a the house, there's a lot of testosterone and a lot of wrestling that turns to arguing that might turn to bickering, and so we have a lot of opportunity to resolve conflict in our house, um, not just between the two of us, but even as in parenting. Um, And so the things that we're going to talk about tonight will um, apply to all your relationships, whether it's work or your spouse or your kids or um, even your parents and your in-laws. So hopefully this will be something that you guys can take away from tonight. Yeah, we just celebrated 14 years of marriage a a couple weeks ago. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, we get to teach tonight on something we really, really love. So this whole communication and conflict thing in some ways is is a strength. It's also a big growth area. For all of us, uh, you should have a handout. There's one on every seat or most of the seats. And so grab one of those. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but let me tell you a little story first. And so a few Saturday mornings ago, uh, every, every Saturday morning in the Kadersha household, we make pancakes. And so I made the claim, the bold claim that I made the best pancakes in the world. Uh, pancake mix with orange juice and chocolate chips. And uh, it'll give you a diabetic coma. Uh, but it will get you there in a happy way, at least. And so, uh, with four boys, we're used to loud noise and chaos in our house. It, it's doing it again. It must be, I promise, I'm not dropping my voice like this. So, um, we're used to chaos and loud noise. And uh, I, don't, I don't even know what we're arguing about, but a few minutes in, it's the whole family. And, um, you know, I'm the leader of the household, the husband. I'm the one that's supposed to love and shepherd our family. And instead of de-escalating things and bringing them down, I contributed largely to the conflict. And it really got bad when I grabbed a handful of chocolate chips and proceeded to throw them across the kitchen. Uh, that is not one that's a really bad use of chocolate. We all know that. That's just poor stewardship. But I look up and one of my twins is standing next to me. And he says, hey, dad, is this how we're going to resolve conflict in our family? He says, what about all that stuff you always teach us about conflict? Does that apply just to us, but not to you? And so I said, shut up, you little brat, and pick up those chocolate chips. I did not say that. I wanted to. But, but I said, talk about like the spirit hitting you and convicting, uh, convicting you. And so in that moment, uh, just you are so right. So right, instead of helping my family move through conflict, I actually helped escalate it even more. And so uh, all that to say that, that I am uh, a struggler, a fellow struggler when it comes to communication and conflict. Um, 
it's, we've got fresh stories. We don't have to go back to year one of marriage. We can go as recent as yesterday morning to give examples of struggles that we have in our marriage when it comes to communication and conflict. We, we all need this stuff. And when we talk about communication and conflict, we say every topic is important. But other than spiritual intimacy and being on the same page with Jesus, I'm not sure there's really anything else more important that you can talk through. Because what you learn in communication and conflict provides a foundation of what you're going to talk through when you get to money and sex and communication. Or, and, uh, you know, every topic you'll talk through, communication and conflict will help get you there or will be a, a, a barrier to you becoming one and growing in oneness with each other. And so we're going to talk through very quickly tonight seven common communication and conflict mistakes. What's interesting is that we teach some of this to pre-married couples, but it 100% applies to pre-marrieds, to newly marrieds, to every single married couple. And so we're going to fly through seven common communication and conflict mistakes. All right. Mistake one is to believe that the goal of communication is to make sure you are heard. And so one of the ways that we as human beings and a couple are unique and special is our ability to communicate with one another. But somewhere along the way, our goal typically becomes to be um, to win and to get our point across and not to be understood and to pursue um, unity or oneness as a couple. Proverbs 18 to a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And so the goal should be mutual understanding. Um, and when, I, when we say understanding, that doesn't mean you have to agree with one another, but you just help your spouse understand how you feel, what your side of it is, um, not so that you can win, but just so that you can understand one another and that you can grow in oneness. So about two months ago, um, Kristen calls me in a panic. I'm driving home from work. She tells me that uh, her purse has been stolen. And so I pull into the driveway, and she tells me that someone walked into our garage, opened up her car, took her purse, and ran with it. And so, um, so I just get back in the car and I start cruising the neighborhood to find this guy. I'm assuming it was a guy uh, that took Kristen's purse. And I get back home. And the first thing I do when I get home is begin the lecture. Don't you know that you shouldn't leave the garage door open? Don't you know that you shouldn't? Like who leaves their purse in their car? I don't. Okay. Some people are raising their hand. Don't do it. Okay. <laughs> because I care for your purse and your marriage. And so, um, so I begin the lecture of all the things that Kristen shouldn't have done. My wife is a highly intelligent human being. She married me. That's evidence of her intelligence. And so uh, that was not in the notes. Uh, and she didn't write that in. So uh, she is a very bright woman and um, very discerning, intelligent. She does not need a lecture from Scott Kadersh on what to do with her purse and to close the garage door. What I needed to do in that moment was just shut my mouth and listen, ask good questions and seek to understand what she was walking through. And so I I failed miserably because I thought the goal of communication was for me to be heard, to make sure that she knew what you are supposed to do with your car, with the garage and with your purse. Mistake. Okay. All right. Mistake number two is not understanding the impact of your words and tone. So we've heard this as a, as a young age, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. There may not be a more false statement ever said. 
Okay, like words are so hurtful. They're penetrating. I remember the things that people said about me in middle school, uh, in elementary school, in high school, in college. I remember, we remember the words that people use. Words are hurtful. And it's not only the words we say, it's also the way that we say those things. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Another one right next to this, Proverbs eighteen twenty one: death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. What those two verses communicate is that our words have power. There's either life in them or there's death. We're either healing with our words or we're reckless in our words. And so it's what we say, and it's also how we say it. Our tone matters, and the words that we choose to use with one another in marriage matter. And so when you think about tone, um, a lot of times, at least for myself, I don't, I don't catch what I'm saying um, in the tone that I'm saying it in. Like my words seem very kind and thoughtful, um, but the way that I say it comes out very disrespectful or not honoring. So it can be as simple as, honey, would you please take out the trash? That sounds like a a nice, pleasant request. Or it can be, for the love, would you take the trash out? In other words, you have done nothing. You have forgotten to take the trash out again. I'm going to treat you like my 12-year-old. Would you please do something that I asked you to? And so there's a huge difference when you think about how, not just the words you use, but the sound of your voice as well. Colossians 3, Paul speaks the words of truth that that apply to this in any relationship, but just clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing, forgiving, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so just ask yourself, ask your spouse, what does my tone sound like, especially when things are not going my way or we're getting into conflict? Do, do I sound like that kind and humble and meek, or do I sound disrespectful and unkind? All right, mistake three. Assume conflict ends when you say, I'm sorry. So forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive is, again, in Colossians 3. And so it's important to say, I'm sorry, but you need to be more specific. It's not saying, I'm sorry that I offended you, or I'm sorry I made you feel that way. So I get to tell the fun stories. So um, uh, a couple of years ago, I watched my, um, probably at the time, he was probably six and one of the twins, who was, I guess, nine at the time, and I was watching the two of them in a little fight with each other, and it started real small as usual, and before you know it, it starts escalating, and it starts to get a little bit physical, and I watched the six-year-olds go up to nine-year-old and rear back and kick them between the legs, and I'm just kind of casually sitting there watching, and the nine-year-old comes running up to me and says, hey, uh, dad, my little brother just kicked me between the legs, and so I called uh, the, the, it's hard to not say his name. And so I called the, the younger one over. I said, Hey buddy, uh, I just saw you do something to your brother. He says, I didn't do anything. And I said, no, I watched you do it. He says, what was his fault? And I said, well, was, I don't think he grabbed your foot, pulled it back and kicked himself in the legs. I watched you do it. You need to apologize. Finally he says, fine. And so he marches over to his brother and he says, I'm sorry for whatever I did. And then runs off in the other direction. So pull them back. Hey, buddy, that's not how we do this. We say, I'm sorry for kicking you between the legs. Will you please forgive me? And I remember thinking, my silly little six-year-old, he doesn't know how to resolve conflict. And then I realized that, that that's us too. So I'm not kicking Kristen between the legs and running away. I, I, what I have trouble doing is being humble and apologizing specifically and asking for forgiveness. 
if I offended any of you, you, you can come up to me and you would tell me how I offended you and I would apologize specifically. I would ask your forgiveness. But when it's my spouse, the person that I am one flesh with, the person I love more than any other human being, it is really, really difficult to be humble and to ask for forgiveness specifically. So I know for, for many of you, you are in the middle of your re-engage curriculum. You're in, somewhere along the way between lesson one and 16. Some of you are new. Some of you are an open group. Somewhere along the way, you're going to walk through the forgiveness lessons if you haven't already. Those are lessons four and five in your curriculum. Those will be probably some of the toughest weeks for you. Forgiveness is difficult. We, uh, are so, we want forgiveness for ourselves. We want to be forgiven. We want uh, our spouse to forgive us. But for some reason, it's difficult to offer that same forgiveness to one another. And so I just want to remind you that we are forgiven of everything through Christ. And that we are to forgive one another in the same way. That's Colossians 3.13. That's Ephesians 4.32. That's Matthew 18.21-35, through 35, the parable of the unmerciful servant one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. And so we're, we're quick to want to receive forgiveness, but we need to be willing to offer forgiveness as well. And so I want, I want to remind you when you do something wrong, when you mess up, when you sin, to ask for forgiveness, to apologize specifically, to be humble. Because if you do, that will go a very, very long way towards recovery in your marriage. In fact, I, I would almost guarantee that the couples that struggle and re-engage are the ones that have the most trouble working through forgiveness of either being humble and asking or being prideful and, uh, or, sorry, not being humble and not asking or being prideful and not giving forgiveness to your spouse. And I want to remind you that if you are a Christian, that you are called to forgive in the same way that we are forgiven through Christ. Uh, sometimes it feels like you have rocks in your mouth. Like you can't get the words out. It's like, uh, I just can't, I can't say it. And I just want to encourage you to push through, to say the words, I'm sorry. And will you please forgive me? All right. A mistake number four, blame your spouse as the reason that you fight. So James four talks about what causes quarrels and fights among us. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. And so we fight because we're just, we're selfish. Um, that's the bottom line. It, is, it has nothing to do with your kids or your schedule or how much money you have. It's just that we want something and we can't have it. And so we fight. Yep. And this has been an issue since the beginning. When you go back to the garden with Adam and Eve, it was the blame game from day one. She blames the serpent. He blames the woman. He blames God. He says, it's your fault. It's the woman that you gave me. And so we followed suit ever since we play the blame game where we don't see ourselves as the problem. We just point our finger to our spouse. So some of you think, man, if my spouse, if my wife would just have sex with me more, if she would stop spending so much money, if he would quit looking at porn. And in the process, while those are legitimate issues, very legitimate, in the middle of that, we forget to work on ourselves. It's Matthew 7, 3, uh, Matthew 7, 3 through 5, where we are more focused in the, the speck in our spouse's eye, not the log, the plank that's in our own eye. And so I just want to remind you that your biggest marriage problem is, is yourself. It's what Paul says in, in 1 Timothy 1.15, that I am the chief sinner. 
And when you, as we always say, draw the circle around yourself and work on that person, that is the step towards recovery in your marriage and towards growing in your marriage. If you've never seen Watermark's Conflict Field Guide, it is a fantastic resource. And so I, I can't remember if that's in your re books. I don't think it is. It's probably an additional resource you can find online. Write it down on the page, write Watermark Conflict Field Guide, Google it, download it, read that thing. It is full of scripture and will be a huge help in your marriage and all of your relationships. All right, mistake number five, don't ever take a time out. So many people do this um, using Ephesians 4.26, which says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And so Paul is using this as a metaphor to communicate truth. The sun can go down on your conflict, and there are times that we need to pause, but we need to purpose to come back to taking care of that so that we pursue oneness. So there are times, such as when you're hungry or hurting, So none of us are really good at conversation and conflict when we are hungry. Um, And the lack of food just kind of reveals the depths of our sin in our heart. Amen. Anyone? (laughs) Yes. Um, When we're angry. So a lot of times when you get into a heated discussion, that is not the time to resolve it. There needs to be space and time so that each of you can cool off. Um, If you're late or lost, um, I come from a military, military family, and being late is... I mean, it's just this far from sin. Um, And so, and being lost is probably one of the most frustrating things for me. Like, you do not want to be in the car with me, and you certainly don't want to pursue a conversation of any type um, if we're late or lost. And then tired. So, we, we, we know this too. Like, we don't make sense. Our thoughts are not clear. And so, you just need to um, just call a timeout. And so, that's halt. Hungry, hurting, angry, late, lost, or tired. Halt. Sometimes you can do more than one at one time. You probably heard it. When you're hungry and angry at the same time, it means you are hangry. Okay, that's a bad combination. And so when, when that happens, like here, here's a good example. A couple of weeks ago, Kristen um, and, and I were talking through how do we best love our, our um, one of our boys. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, how do we best love him and care for him and encourage him and challenge him? And, and we had a really busy day. It was one of those full days. He started... Uh, spinning like a bad top at, you know, 5.45 in the morning and hadn't stopped until 7.30 or 8 at night. And we had been go, 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 go. It was a busy day with um, different errands and responsibilities for Kristen and work for me. And I got home and we're bringing kids to practice and then up to church and back and all this kind of stuff. And we were teaching the next day, I think at the pre-married class, and Kristen said, hey, we've got to talk about our child. I said, you know, this is, this is what this looks like practically. And so it was a big need for both of us. And it was one of those times where I said, hey, I think we need to call a timeout now. We need to not have this conversation now. We have about three hours worth of work we need to do tonight. His problems are not going to be resolved by the morning. We need to figure out what we're going to teach tomorrow night. And so that's a great situation where, where we call a timeout, where we say, uh, let's, let's come back to this later. Because I'm the one that called the timeout, that means I'm the one who initiates the follow-up conversation. That's me saying, hey, we can't do it tonight. How about if we come back to it on Friday night, and I promise we'll talk through it. We can also talk through it Thursday night when we're our small group, our married community group. And so that's kind of like a timeout. What you do when you, now that was one when we're not angry at each other. 
there's also a timeout when you just escalate and the volume keeps getting higher and higher or the words that you use are more hurtful. And so there, that's another situation where you call a timeout. When that happens, and that's probably the time when most of us are going to call a timeout, when you do that, one of you needs to be like Jesus and say timeout. We need to step away from this conversation right now. That doesn't mean that you get to withdraw and avoid the, con- or the conversation. It means that this isn't a good time for this talk. We're hurtful. We're angry. We're not making any sense. What if we came back and finished this conversation at another time? Now, what you do when you call a timeout, very practically, that means that I go off, and this is when we're, we're in a, a little bit of an argument or a fight with each other. What I do is I don't go you know, sit down with my Bible and my journal and write down the top 10 passages that say that Christian's wrong and I'm right. What I do in that moment is, is, is I say, Holy Spirit, please control me. Please take control of me. I am sinning. I am not leading my marriage well. I'm not loving my wife well. Will you help me understand the areas where I am falling short right now? And then the hope is that Christian would do the same thing and that we'd come together as two adults who love Jesus and love one another and talk through the conversation. And so a timeout has been a huge benefit for us to come under control of the Holy Spirit, to resolve a conflict or a hard conversation when the timing is better, instead of escalating the conversation further. And so a timeout does not mean you get to avoid. It means you stop it now and you resume it at a later time. And then practically, the one who calls the timeout is probably the one that needs to be responsible for initiating the conversation down the road. Okay, the sixth mistake is don't ever debrief your conflict. And so I was thinking about this one just yesterday morning. We had uh, a little conflict with, (laughs) ironically, maybe with this same child again uh, yesterday morning. And it was a tough, you know, 45 minutes in the morning, dropped the four boys off at school. Chris and I drove up together. I dropped her off at the house and then I drove to work, and then what we did is that we got on the phone and we talked through the conflict together. We said, here's what we did wrong, here's what we did right, here's what we need to do differently next time. The image that came to my mind was like a football team that watches game film. And so when you play a football game on Saturday, you have another one the next Saturday, you do a couple things between one Saturday and the next. One is that you watch your own team play. You look back and you say, here's what we did well. Here's how we need to improve. The other thing you do is you scout the other team. You say, here's what this team does really well, and here's how we might be able to beat them. And so in other words, you look at the game film of your conflict. You say, here's what we need to do differently next time. Here's what was good. Here's what was not so good. We don't want to be like the dog who returns to his vomit. So Proverbs 26, 11 says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. And I think so many of our problems are because we do the same mistakes over and over again. And we never take time to process what led to it. And so yesterday morning, if we just real practically, uh, it, w- it was a stressful morning. We didn't prepare well for the day ahead. We should have anticipated a few things. I escalated. And then there were a few things that were out of our control that we had no control over. So we can't do those over, but there's some things that we could have done differently. And so when you have a hard conversation, take some time to debrief what you did and how you could do things differently the next time around. Mistake seven is never ask others for help. So um, you're here, and so you've already asked some people in to help you out. Um, and, And if you're stuck, even being here, 
bring others in. Um, we, we talk about widening the circle. So we have um, no trouble seeing the sin of our spouse or the people around us, but a lot of times we do not see our own issues, and so that's where you want to ask others in. Yeah, so we talk about widening the circle. The, the good thing is for all of you who are already in a closed group, you have a wider circle. If you go to church here, you're in a community group. You're in a re-engage group. If you're at another church, I don't care where you go, but you've got to find people who will widen the circle. If we try to resolve things on our own, often we get stuck. And so the mistake is not bringing others in. And so we want you to widen the circle. We're, we're so grateful that, that y'all are here. I mean, I think there, there's um, so many couples will struggle and they will isolate and not bring others in. They won't go to re-engage. They won't involve others. They're too stuck in the, their sin and their shame to bring others in. And so you are doing exactly what you need to do. You're coming to re-engage, and it's not about re-engage, but this is a way to help you grow in your marriage. It's about what Jesus wants to do in your marriage. And so forgiveness, it's seeking to understand, it's widening the circle, it's understanding your words and your tone, it's all the things that we talked about, it's forgiving that will help you grow in your marriage. And I think we have a really unique opportunity. So when you finish up, you are blessed with 16 weeks of really good teaching and a leader who cares for you, and 16 weeks of homework to be able to grow in your marriage. And so we have the opportunity as people who love the Lord to be an example of what is different about a Christian marriage. And so I just want to encourage you. I want to tell you how proud of you I am for taking this step. And I know this is hard. If someone who gets paid to be a good communicator for a living in marriage, I'm a marriage pastor and I stink at this sometimes. And so sometimes it's just widening the circle and saying, we need to grow and we need to improve. And you're doing exactly that. So I'd love to pray for you. And then I think Ryan's going to come up and close things out. So, Lord, thanks for tonight. God, I pray that we won't make these mistakes. I pray that you'd help us to grow in the way that we love our spouse, the way we love you, the way we love our kids. God, help us to, to see uh, where we fall short. Help us to not be prideful. Help us to be humble, to not be like the dog who returns to its vomit, but one who rather turns and walks away from his sin and shame. God, help us to communicate in conflict in a way that helps us grow in our marriages. God, I pray for every marriage here that you would help them uh, be a great picture of your love for us, the church. In Christ's name we pray, amen.